Jesus continues the Sermon on the Mount, illustrating the righteous requirement of the law, while the Pharisees think they're already righteous enough. On The Bible Brief. Tell a friend about The Bible Brief today. Your recommendation can help your friends learn the Bible in a whole new way. Tap share on your podcast player and share your favorite episode. The crowd is enthralled at the words of Jesus. Words of blessing and happiness, even in the midst of normal life. Words of a kingdom coming, reserved not for the powerful in this life, but for faithful citizens who show that their citizenship is in the kingdom to come. Jesus began this great sermon with blessing heaped upon blessing, and he described the counterintuitive nature of happiness provided to those who don't necessarily have all the apparent assets of happiness in this life. They are the poor in spirit, the mourners, those who make peace, and those who hunger for righteousness. They are the sojourning citizens of a kingdom yet coming, who get a taste of what's to come through their happy lives. With a foundation in what's coming, they have a foundation that won't crack under the weight of any disappointment. They have happiness because they have the future. It's after this that Jesus says two things about these people, those who stick with Jesus in faith, despite all around them. He says this, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus uses two images, salt and light. First, he says that the people of the kingdom are the salt of the earth. They are tasty preservatives forestalling decay around them. And yet this salt image comes with a warning. Kingdom citizens are shown by their saltiness. And if there's no saltiness, there may not be citizenship. Useless, tasteless salt isn't fulfilling its purpose. Then Jesus shifts to light. He says, you are the light of the world. This is quite a statement, considering that elsewhere Jesus is described as the light that has come into the world. And he even says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus says to these people that they will illuminate the world, just as he is illuminating the world with his ministry. But in this context, the illumination is not necessarily the words we say, but the works that we do. Works that glorify our Father in heaven. Just as people marveled and glorified God the Father at the works of Jesus, so through the works of His followers, people will glorify God the Father. Paired together, believers, these citizens of the kingdom, are to be set apart in this world. In a world of tastelessness and decay, we are salt. In a world of darkness and self-glorification, we are light. The good works we do are to point others to God so that more salt and more light are produced. These happy, blessed, yet persecuted people of the kingdom 
are to, as much as they can, make a salty, tasty, preserved world full of the light of good works to the glory of God. We're not to hide or become useless. We're to be light, just as Jesus is the ultimate light in the darkness. Now, after Jesus has described these people of the kingdom, a major shift occurs in the sermon, where he begins addressing the law of Moses and clarifying some misunderstandings of the day. Misunderstandings largely perpetrated by the religious elites, surely some of which were among this vast crowd that had assembled themselves in Galilee. Though Jesus attracted many of the general populace around himself, he'd also begun to attract the attention of these religious leaders. Just as these leaders had gone to the Jordan to listen to John, so they came to Jesus to listen as well. Many of this religious class were called Pharisees, members of a Jewish sect that held the most power around this time period. They were a group of religious Jews who had made it their mission to follow the law of Moses. Well, the law of Moses as they conceived of it. Over the last few hundred years, there was a development within the religious elite to attempt to analyze and separate the laws within the first five books of the Bible. Rather than see them as a unified body, they instead began to separate them, rate their relative importance, and even add unwritten stipulations to them. Traditions developed and new interpretations of the law began to take precedence over the law itself. All this resulted in something foreign to the Hebrew Bible. It was a law that could be completely followed externally, with no corresponding change in the heart. A law in which false love for God could be measured by obedience to this new facade of a law, and where obedience could obligate God to provide blessing on the faithful. It was a twisted perversion of the law that God had given through Moses, and while a false facade, it was dominant in the day of Jesus dominant among those so-called righteous Pharisees who'd come to listen. Would Jesus give them the pious respect they so deserved for their obedience to this law? Or would he be like John the Baptist, who had called them a brood of vipers? Well, first, Jesus dispels a rumor that had begun to swirl in these elite religious circles. Some were saying that Jesus was telling people to ignore the law of Moses, or that the law was being done away with. But Jesus strongly rejects this notion as he continues his sermon. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus rebukes the notion that he's trying to abolish the law of Moses or anything of the sort. In fact, he references the whole Hebrew Bible, saying that none of it is to be abolished. Instead, he says, I've come to fulfill them. Now, this is a monumental statement that we need to understand. Jesus says that he's come to fulfill the Hebrew Bible. 
those predictions, those laws, the great hope of the nation for national blessing. Jesus says, I've come to fulfill it. Further, Jesus rejects abolishing the law of Moses, saying that until the world order, heaven and earth passes away, not a single thing will pass away from the law. Not a letter, not the stroke of a pen. Nothing will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Then to further address any other false notions, Jesus says that judgment is reserved for those who relax any portion of the law. They will be least in the kingdom of heaven, and without righteousness exceeding the scribes and the Pharisees, they will even fail to enter the kingdom of heaven. You can imagine the reaction from those Pharisees standing nearby. He'd not only solidly stood against the rumors against him, but he'd rebuked the practices of the Pharisees in rating and prioritizing the law. Then to cap it all off, he said that they weren't even righteous enough to enter the kingdom of God. He'd completely decimated their proud righteousness. But also think about the crowd. They'd been rocked too. Many of them thought that the Pharisees were the pinnacle of righteousness, that they were the rule followers who should lead the nation into further righteousness. With Jesus saying that you couldn't enter the kingdom without more righteousness than the Pharisees, what hope did any of these normal people have? Jesus continues his sermon, and he begins correction after correction of how to truly understand the law of Moses, with a formula that he repeats over and over again. It's like this. You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus basically says this, Have you been angry at your brother in your heart? You are guilty. You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus essentially says, Have you lusted after another in your heart? You are guilty. It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Jesus says to the many divorcees of the day, You're all committing adultery with such a loose application of divorce. You are guilty. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Jesus says to those who won't forgive from their hearts and demand vengeance at their own hands, You are guilty. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Jesus essentially says, If you hate your enemy, you may not be a son of God or a citizen of the kingdom. You are guilty. And then after all these clarifications and more, 
Jesus ends these statements with a summary of the Hebrew Bible, a summary that's come to be called the golden rule. He says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. It's easy to imagine a breathless and silent crowd. Jesus had spent the last several minutes illustrating what kind of righteousness was needed to enter the kingdom of heaven, to be able to experience that blessing that he began his sermon with. And these illustrations were devastating. Jesus took what was merely outward obedience and placed the seat of unrighteousness not in the hands that murder, but in the heart that hates, not in the unfaithful body, but in the adulterous heart not in the vengeance of the sword, but in the violent heart. In just a few paragraphs, Jesus utterly destroys the concepts of righteousness so popular in the day. The people there with Jesus learn that as far as righteousness is concerned, they are all sinking on their own unrighteous ships, from the so-called righteous Pharisee to the tax collector cheats. None were good enough to enter the kingdom of God. Then Jesus ends his sermon with this. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teachings, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, and not as their scribes. King Jesus had delivered his kingdom manifesto, a sermon of blessing of righteousness, and of an insurpassable moral standard. He illustrated a standard not of external behavior, but of the heart itself. A standard upon which all the law and the prophets could be summarized. The question for us is this. Do we meet this standard? Do we hate from our hearts? Do we lust in our thoughts? Do we truly love our enemies? Do we do everything to others that we would want done to us? If we're honest, the answer is no, which leaves us with a big problem. How do we enter the kingdom of God? Join us next time as one of those Pharisees speaks with Jesus about this most critical question. How do we enter the kingdom of God? And Jesus gives a surprising answer. The Bible Brief is brought to you by the Bible Literacy Foundation, dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2023